Welcome into the Husker 24-7 podcast. I'm Mike Schaefer, joined by Brian Christofferson, Michael Brunts. It is the day before signing day. Do you know where Nebraska's commitments are, Brunts? Do I know where they are? Yeah. They're uh, probably in the basement trying to find a fax machine right now if, I'm, if I've got my dates right. Wasn't it uh... – what was it, Terry Joseph that told you that recruiting doesn't really start until, like, midnight the day before? Yeah, basically midnight of uh, midnight midnight of the day of signing day is when the recruiting really begins. So it hasn't even started yet as we record this. All right. Well, so there's still some uh, some run-up to, to when it actually matters, I suppose. But we will we'll save the recruiting. For the, the end of the show, we'll dive into who's expected to sign and enroll early and all of that stuff here in a little bit. But first, we got Rutgers, Nebraska on a Friday afternoon. Gentlemen, is this the most fitting game time in Nebraska football history? You know yeah. what? People are going to kind of make fun of it, but it'll end up being one of those games like all of like the college football Twitter is like watching at Friday at five o'clock, you know, if it's a close game in the second half and commenting on, cause it'll be the, it'll be a game that's on and people will love football. So in a bizarre way, it's, I think it's actually going to have more eyes on it than it would if it were a normal time. Is that good for a Nebraska program that I don't know, like it shouldn't be, you know, public or televised. I don't know. They're going to turn the cameras on, so, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I'm one of those people, though, that I have such a low bar of what's acceptable football for me to watch that, uh, that, that even Rutgers and Nebraska clears that at 3 p.m. on a Friday. And, and I think BC is right, though. Like, the, the weirder the time, the more likely I am to probably watch it. I was going to say, is there even a bar? No, I mean – I, d- I have trouble getting into FCS football sometimes, but I mean, I I'll, I'll watch about anything. I mean, I'm, I'm not I'm not too uh, selective. Just look at it this way: if, if like uh, Boston College were playing, what's another like ACC team that's sort of Syracuse? Yeah, say Boston College were playing Syracuse, you might not be fully into it, but if you were working or at home. You would probably like, oh, there's a there's a college game on at four o'clock on a Friday. I'll, you'd you'd have it on in the background. I would at least probably. So yeah, I, 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 think, I agree with that because sports during the workday when you work from home is the best, uh, and you don't really need a big push to to dive into it. The the baseball playoff games during the day were nice. The uh, the NBA uh, playoff games during the day were nice. No, I I agree with that um, to a to a degree, but. A Friday three o'clock is like a really that's a super odd time, and it's not even like it's a bowl week, you know. Yet it's just sort of a a total throwaway, really. After a snowstorm, maybe right? Is it yeah, well snow? that that can help too. You could get some of the visual of snow football going on. Yeah. So with, the, with Nebraska starting three freshman offensive linemen potentially. Yeah, let's 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 hit on that. Brandon Hymas made the announcement on Monday that he was going to the NFL. There's one game left, at least one game left in this season, but Brandon Hymas uh, finished out the regular season in a weird 2020. One of the better linemen that Nebraska's had, I think, in recent memory. 
Um, not a guy that, you know, I, I can't recall a specific play uh, where it's like, oh, yeah, Brandon Hymas just totally decimated that guy or Brandon Hymas this or Brandon Hymas that. But sometimes for an offensive lineman, isn't that like a good thing? Like if you don't have that instant recall of anything that Brandon Hymas has necessarily done, but you just know that he's been really steady there at left tackle. He hasn't seemingly allowed much in terms of pressure coming from that side this year for Nebraska. Uh, and I just think that he's been a, a pretty good player for him. So that will be a little bit of a loss uh, as they go into this game on Friday. Kind of turning the, turning the page, I guess, to uh, likely the, the Turner Corcoran era, right? I mean, that, that's where this is probably headed. I mean, he's next up on the depth chart and he's been on the travel roster for all these games. He's, uh, you know, I, I sort of thought he was going to start at guard this year, but there's a lot of traffic inside and he's had a chance to sort of be the protege, um, you know, behind Hymas. And I, I, so I, yeah, that he seems like the guy, the only other options you could have is if you like decided you're going to go with a veteran like Gaylord or something and move him over um, or, Brant Banks, but Banks would have been playing over there, I think, all year if, if he were – if that were where you're going. So, I expect Corcoran. Um, and uh, that's – that adds a nice storyline to this game because you've got Corcoran, you got Piper, uh, and you got Ben Hart. And then you got sophomore Cameron Jurgens at center. And that's your starting offensive line probably. So, that is both uh, a question mark and exciting at the same time for Nebraska. Yeah, and Turner Corcoran uh, is a guy that I think people at least, you know, that's another reason to tune in uh, to, to see what he sort of looks like and how he plays in that first appearance. And uh, a guy that, you know, much like Bryce Benhart, who has had his ups and downs and, and certainly did not have a great week against a Minnesota team that I know that game meant a lot to him. Uh, and so, um, you know, Turner Corcoran, it, it's going to be – Greg Schiano is not going to go easy. Uh, on Nebraska's offensive line. What do you guys know about Rutgers? Have you watched much Rutgers football this year, I guess is really the question. Sadly, yes. <laughs> back to that bar, back to the no bar thing. Um, they, they are, they're veteran in some spots. Like they've got some guys that have played a lot of football um, on some pretty bad teams, but some guys that are, have been around, um, I think they're you. They play with uh, a good amount of energy. Like they look like a a team that believes in that staff. I think that they've schemed up some things pretty well, uh, especially on offense. And, and you know, you look at the the games that they've won. I mean, they've hung tight with some teams. They they've played tough. I think Greg Schiano, you know, unless you're a Tennessee fan, I think he's a pretty good coach. Um, and it's it's going to be you know, a, a tough game for Nebraska. I mean, I, I think Rutgers is coming into this game feeling pretty good about itself. It's a home game. Um, you know, I, I, I think it's uh, – I, I don't – I would not look at this game as kind of being against like a typical Rutgers team of the past. Like that. that's just the, the best way I could put it. I, I think they're a pretty well-coached team. Yeah, I, I don't think – you know, it used to be for the last like – 10 years or so you say Rutgers and you'd fall with a snicker. I mean, I guess Nebraska's favored in this game. I actually am surprised a little bit that they're favored. Um, I would, I would have given the advantage to Rutgers by, by three or so in the spread. So, I mean, Brunts is right. Every time I've watched them, uh, they're, they're a passionate 
team. They, they seem like they're excited every week to play in a year where not every program you watch is that way. And uh, you, Nebraska got a, a tough draw because it's going to be a game where some people will still say, oh, that's Rutgers. You lost to Rutgers if they lose or, you know, if it's a close game or whatever, and they shouldn't look at it that way, especially with what we've seen from Nebraska to this point. It's a, this is very much a toss-up game, and uh, I think Rutgers is probably pretty excited to play it. And so there were other teams Nebraska could have probably got uh, that wouldn't have been as fired up as I think Rutgers will be. Well, and, and Rutgers is being mentioned as a potential bowl team for some of these games that are still being slated to play. And so it's not like they're not playing for anything. They just beat Maryland last week. A win over Nebraska would give them four wins. That would be a pretty impressive, you know, four and five for a team with a new coach coming into an odd year with a new offensive system. Uh, I, I've been nothing but impressed by what I've seen from Rutgers this year, and I've watched more of it than I would have imagined, you know. But they're they're just a tough team. I, I think they take after their their head coach. They have a little bit of an edge to them. I think that defense flies around a little bit. You can make plays on them, and they're going to give up yards, but Nebraska is not the kind of offense that uh, you trust right now. And so I, I don't know if they're going to be able to take advantage of when those opportunities pop up. And so this is a, a difficult matchup for Nebraska. And then, of course, defensively, I mean, I, I think Rutgers had some weapons uh, on offense, too. And so we don't know what's going to happen with Noah Vedral and his health and if he's going to be available. But I don't know if the drop is is significant from him to his backup. And, and that guy was able to lead a game tying and then a game winning a uh, situation against Maryland on Saturday. And I, I just, I don't know what to think about Nebraska. I mean, so much of the time, you know, you get into these games and, and we do focus more on, on what Nebraska is doing and what they're not doing. And we don't talk about the other team. Well, in this case, I think that's completely warranted because I just don't know what version of Nebraska football from week to week is going to show up. Is it the one that's capable of hanging with Iowa uh, and, and playing Northwestern tough? and playing, you know, hard for a half against Ohio State and then letting it slip away a little bit? Or is it the team that showed up in the second half against Penn State, couldn't do anything offensively, showed up against Illinois and flat against uh, the the Illini? And then I don't even know how to describe whatever Saturday was. Um, but I, I I just don't know what to, to make of Nebraska. I guess I wouldn't be shocked if they went out to Piscataway and they came back with a win or if they, they came back humbled a little bit and, it's just a, a weird team. I, I feel like there's nothing about Nebraska football right now that when someone tells you they're going to play, you know what you're going to see because they're so unpredictable and inconsistent. And that's not a good thing. Well, I mean, the thing is, in a game like this, especially if it's bad weather and cold, you would like uh, to have a running game that's portable, you know, that you can bring out there and you're like, okay, this team can line up. They can go north-south with their eye back. And obviously that has not been a part of the equation for the Huskers this year. So that's part of where I think the discomfort is with trying to prognosticate what Nebraska can do on offense. Cause um, th they're going to have to find it from other ways. And if the weather is such where, you know, it's a team that already struggles enough throwing the football. And then if you throw in terrible conditions and it just becomes, you have to get this thing moving with your, your eye back, Nebraska hasn't shown that's a, a possibility yet this year so that's a that's a, a scary part for Oscar football and I don't think this thing turns if it's going to turn until they get that position rolling 
I mean, they've got to, they've got to figure that's got to be a focal point. Like how can this offense get the eye back, back into being a central part of the whole process? Because right now it's not. Well, and that starts with the coaching staff, right? Like their offensive game plan has chosen not to highlight a running back all season long. Um, and so I, I just don't know how you expect Edric Mills to produce for you if you won't give him three, you know, carries in a row multiple times in a game. And so it's, it's tough to just imagine that you're going to roll the football out there and all of a sudden the running back is going to be part of the offense when it just clearly seems like that's something they've chosen not to use as much this year for whatever reason. It might be because Mills has been hurt. It might be because they don't feel like they can block things up. It might be because they're, they're looking ahead and thinking the teams are expecting them to run. I just, I, I think a run game is something that you have to commit to doing. You just can't fall backwards into it. And there it is. And we don't have a clue. This is the hard part. Leaving 2020, you thought we would kind of know who amongst the young running backs popped their head up, right? Like who's the guy who's sort of a, a step in front of the others. And we don't know. I mean, for a while, it looked like Marvin Scott might be that. But when you look at his workload this year, it, it, I mean, he hasn't – he's touched at, what, 15 times maybe, something like that. You know, Ramir Johnson's about in that neighborhood. Um, Ronald Tompkins just disappeared from the equation. And then, you know, we Sevion's been hurt. And so that's the part where I thought we would know who was going to be next in line uh, by this time, and we don't at all. So that that's going to be a mystery the entire 2021, figuring out what the situation is there. Yeah, I mean, it's that, – that position, I, I think, has been the biggest head-scratcher for me. I mean, it's – I don't think that Dedrick Mills has, has been 100% since the Penn State game. Um, you know, I, I think, too – there just doesn't seem to be the the trust in in guys. I mean, and it it also kind of seems like too, that almost every back in that group has had some kind of issue that has kept them off the field. I mean, you know, uh, Scott had the, the, got his bell rung, I guess, and then had the the issue with the the COVID test. I think Savion Morrison's missed time with uh, COVID. uh, It's kept him off the field. Uh, Ronald Tompkins is, is, was there and then gone and then back and then, you know, not, not there again. It's, uh, you know, it, it's tough. I mean, I, and I don't know that, you know, depending on what, uh, what Dedrick Mills decides to do next year, you know, you're going to need somebody to, to emerge there. And I mean, I, is that a position you look in the transfer portal to find somebody? I mean, I, I don't know. It just doesn't seem like there's a ton of, trust, I guess, in, in the guys that are not Dedrick Mills right now. And, you know, it's they've had to lean a lot on, on the quarterback um, in, in the run game. And I do kind of wonder if, you know, some of the issues that they're having in, in the passing game with the quarterback and, and, and linking that stuff up is also because they just don't have uh, a, a running game to speak of outside of uh, quarterback keepers and, and guys making plays with their feet. Yeah, and that's – I mean, I just – I don't think you're going to be able to survive with that um, and, and successfully, consistently put your best offense out there. But we shall see. Is there anything, as you sort of look back at that Minnesota game, now that we've, we've moved beyond, we had our post-game wrap-up, uh, you know, 6, 7 o'clock on Saturday night. Uh, is there anything else that stands out to you the further we get from it? 
um, on either side of the ball? Uh, I don't know if there's anything new from what's been said to me. I mean, the, we've been talking about this for years with, with this team and it's that fragile word. And it's just so, I don't know the way around it until you just stack a bunch of classes together. Like we're doing interviews right now with the 2021 guys and they believe they're going to be the group that changes it. And we've heard that before, but you know, they believe they they're coming in to, to do things, but you're going to need like 21, 20, 19, this mesh of guys who all kind of have that same mindset. Like this just isn't happening anymore. We're going to fix this. And we, we believe we are going to succeed in these situations when the, when the fire's hot. And right now, with Nebraska football, I don't think guys want to say it out loud, but when you watch them and the Minnesota game encapsulated it, what we've seen for a while is when there's a situation where it's sort of, you know, hanging out there and you're worried it's going to go the wrong way. It usually does. Like one bad thing leads to a bad series or a bad quarter, like the first play of the game. Um, and so that's, that's the part that's discouraging, I think is that um, it feels like Nebraska, in those moments, like when something goes wrong, you just feel like they know, like, okay, that's, that's set the template for what's going to happen next. And they shouldn't be thinking that, and maybe not all the guys are, but it feels like it's sort of associated with this team right now. And that how you break through that has been an ongoing quest that is not easily put to words or solved, obviously. Yeah, it's – I mean, that, that Minnesota game, I mean, it had all the the ingredients of, you know, every other, um, you know, one possession loss that's happened at Nebraska recently. I mean, the, you lose field position, you don't particularly play well on special teams, and you lose the turnover battle. I mean, it's, it, it's not a really difficult arithmetic to get to why a lot of this stuff keeps happening. I mean, it, it's guys making plays when the opportunity presents itself, it's a small number of plays every game where you need a guy to just make a play. I mean, a a good example is you you get Minnesota, you know, one of their defensive linemen beats Nebraska off the edge twice. And and those are two huge plays. Um, You know, you you shank a punt and and give Minnesota great field position. I mean, that that's an easy play to make right there that you have to make. I mean, Minnesota got 14 points off of Nebraska turnovers. It's not, you know, we, I feel like we just do like these huge deep dives on things and you know, that that's the the name of the game in Nebraska, but you know, that there's very few stats that, you know, really matter except for those few that towards, you know, what the, the final score ends up looking like. And you know, you, you go dig into those close losses and, and it's, they're all there. I mean, it's, it's turnovers, it's consistent football. Um, and, and Nebraska just is, is just not there yet. And I agree with Brian. I mean, it's, you know, guys need to, guys need to, to play better. Coaches need to coach a lot better. Um, and, and it's, you know, until you start doing those little things, I mean, I, I don't see how the picture changes drastically for Nebraska. They were minus 17 yards in field position in the first half of that game. Nebraska's average start was a 21. Minnesota's was a 38. Um, I mean, then for a team that has such a small margin for error, I don't care if the other side is missing, you know, 
seven starters. That's Nebraska can't live that way because they're not good enough to. And the turnovers is exactly right. I mean, how many – basically since the turn of the century, it feels like Nebraska, with the exception of a few years, has been on the wrong end of the turnover margin. And I think they're minus eight now uh, for the year. Obviously, the Illinois game, I think, what was that, minus five or something. So that, that weighs it down. But still, it's part of the stats. And uh, it, it's just kind of unbelievable how that consistently has – gone to the other side um and at some point that's not not just bad luck that's just who you are you know and that's what that's the that's how the fan base feels right now they're they're past the point I think of saying oh that's bad luck or that's a bad call even though there was a bad call or two it's like that's who you are because this has happened way too often and and if you want to look I I mean think about that Purdue game and, and how different that looks when you're winning the field position battle you're making a play on special teams and you, you don't have the, the turnover issues. I mean, it's, it, it's not, I don't know, like it, you know, you dig into analytics and all that, all that other stuff. But I mean, yep. it, there, there's just a few categories that really matter. And Nebraska has not been good at that for, like you said, a very long time. Yeah. Well, they, I mean, two, uh, the two games they won this year, you had the scoop and score from Deontay Williams. You had the block punt that set up the touchdown. I mean, basically just made it as easy as possible for the offense, which needs as much help as possible because they don't have big plays and they can't generate enough long drives and they can't sustain it. So, all right, we'll have plenty of time to, to discuss all that stuff. Let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll dive into recruiting. It is the eve of signing day. We'll walk through who's going to sign in this class. We'll get some early thoughts. And of course we're going to have even more on the website today and tomorrow. So be sure to check out Husker 24-7. We'll be right back with a little more on recruiting. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, we're back. All right. So, gentlemen, this is the quietest signing day eve that I can think of. Nebraska has only one announcement I think they're involved in tomorrow or realistically involved in tomorrow, and that's defensive lineman Tia Savea, uh, where the crystal balls currently point towards Nebraska, uh, which looks good. He's a, a player that I think would complete a nice defensive line class for the Huskers overall. But this group – they are expecting to, I think, sign, you know, 90% of the guys that are committed at this point or, or uh, might even be a little higher than that. And quite a few of them are going to 
enroll early. I know that we've kind of talked through this recruiting class a bunch uh, because that's all we really could do for several months. But as you sort of look at how it's been assembled, and we'll, we'll start with BC here, of, of the guys that Nebraska's kind of pulled together in this class, who sort of stands out to you when you, you look through the list and you, you think, yeah, I, I want to see that guy play in a year or two? Um, you know, the guy who's really interesting to me is Bayer. Am I saying it right? Is the G silent? Yeah, it, it, the G is silent. It's Makai Bayer. I like that. Makai Bayer um, out of New Jersey. Um, I don't, I'm not one of those guys, you know, this, that I, I don't look at the highlights or the film and act like I've figured a guy all out off of it. And I, you know, everybody's tape looks pretty good, but his to me, when I kind of went through, uh, maybe jumps out a little bit more than some others. I, so I think he's kind of been under the radar. I don't feel like I've heard as much about him. Um, but I think he might have been a, a nice little steal up in the in the Northeast. So I, I I'm intrigued by him. Um, and then Kamati Grimes is a guy I've really liked because I just think he's versatile. I mean, I know Michigan really wanted him as a defender and um, even tried to use a Jabril Peppers like sales point on him that he could be that guy. And that kind of jumped out to me. Whatever you think of what's going on in Michigan now that they were that they were courting him that specifically for something. And he could be a good offensive weapon here. Um, so I, he's a guy who um, also isn't the most vocal or isn't always out there, you know, thumping his chest or anything during the recruiting process. But I'm pretty interested in both those guys. Yeah, both are expected to sign. I don't know if either are enrolling early. I think Grimes is going to end up playing basketball and wait until the summer. And I know Bayer is expected to come in the summer as well. What about you, Brooks? Yeah, I'll, I'll give uh, a couple guys who've been in the class for a while. Um, I, I'm intrigued by, and I, I know he goes. His name is Randolph. I always in my head call him Randy, Randy Kapai. Um, <laughs> but I'm curious to see what he can be with, you know, some some weight added on. Um, you know, I, I think if you watch his highlights from his senior year, he's kind of the rare outside linebacker that looks comfortable in space. Um, I, I think a lot of times guys like that that, you know, are, are athletic and get after the quarterback are, are a little bit on skates when you, you kind of put them in space. But he's impressed me in that way. I'm curious to see what he can be once he gets through the strength and conditioning program, uh, add some weight there. And then, you know, the offensive line, I think they've added some good pieces the last couple classes. I'm really curious to see uh, how early Henry Lutovsky um, can, can get on the field. I think he's already got good size. He moves well uh, at 6'6", 320. He, he's kind of – you talk to him, you, you kind of watch how he, he is on social media. He's got some swagger, a little bit of confidence about him. And uh, I think he's going to be a guy that, that will probably uh, outplay his, uh, his recruiting ranking a little bit. I think he was a – I think he's a guy that if, if Iowa had it to do over again, might have uh, looked a little bit more closely at than they did at the time. Yeah, I, I like Henry Lutovsky a lot. There's there's little doubt in my mind that he would be uh, in, in a Super 6, and we don't do that until February because there's still going to be some other guys uh, that are going to pop up in this class and some other additions as well. The, one of the names that you guys hadn't mentioned uh, that really doesn't get talked about a lot and I kind of had just an interesting exchange with here this morning. Malik Williams, I went back and watched his film. 
he's, you know, a, a really Travis Fisher-like defensive back. He's aggressive. He plays hard. He's hard-nosed. He's sticking in on run. He's going to help, uh, obviously, through the passing game. And then Marquise Buford along those lines, too. I, I think both of those DBs, because of where that DB room is at, they both are pretty interesting guys to me. Buford is a really good athlete that could play on either side of the ball. And, and I really do think that Nebraska has to replace – uh, and find more guys. I mean, they, they have Cam Taylor Britt, and he's one. And Deontay Williams had the scoop and score. But I, I just feel like they need some athletes back there that if they are able to turn over a team, can be dangerous. And so I, I think Marquise Buford has that sort of ability. And he said Nebraska's even talked with him a little bit about punt return, kick return, or maybe even if everything goes right with the defense early on, he could try to sneak over on the offensive side of the ball. So he's just a, a pretty good athlete coming from prep school. He's getting here early, uh, and so I, I think both of those DBs I'm, I'm curious on, and uh, I, I think they're going to be, you know, guys that, that I, Travis Fisher is going to enjoy working with, and, and, of course, you know, we have to see where it goes from there. You, you look at this class overall, and we've talked about this a bunch. Nebraska's getting a lot bigger. I mean, you, you just look at the sheer size. Obviously, Thomas Fedoni, Latrell Neville, uh, James Carney, Sean Hardy, Kamonte Grimes, A.J. Rollins. You have six pass catchers essentially there. Um, and that's, that's really what they are. I mean, some of those guys are going to have to play in line, of course, too. But with what we've seen from the tight ends this year, and it's been pretty good. I think they, they have over 300-some yards in a shortened season and 30-some catches uh, or 20-some catches. I, I think that, you know, those tight ends are going to be a bigger part of the offense, and we're going to see that continue to increase as well uh, is there a, a position group be beyond maybe tight end that, that stands out I know Brunt's kind of hit on the offensive line with Blutovsky <clears throat> anything else uh, from this this group that you guys like I think linebacker has uh I I like some of the possibilities at linebacker and one of the reasons I like it honestly is the transfer from northern Iowa um Kolarevic. did I say that right what was that I, uh, Chris Kolarevic from uh, Kolarevic. Chris Kolarevic. See, I always write these guys' names. I never say them out loud. So then when I have to pronounce them, I always get worried. Yeah, I get them wrong on a radio show every day until someone corrects me. So that's yeah. the, well, so thanks. I, I'll have the pronunciation, but I'll get it wrong for a while first. Yeah, I'll get this one wrong for a while. But Kolarevic, Kolarevic, um, I think is a guy who you can, you can, uh, you know, pop in there right away into the equation at linebacker. And so that, that does you a solid while you're figuring out amongst your recent additions, both this class and the 2020 class, who really has it and who doesn't. So <clears throat> I always think it's useful if you can find a real steady guy who's played some football that, you, that can give you some reps and can be a part of the mix while um, – kind of surfing around to see who amongst the young guys is prepared to be on the fast track. So I think because of him, uh, that helps the linebackers, but there's other guys who have big upside and, you know, Bruns mentioned Kapai, so I won't go on about him again, but I remember talking to his old coach there and Kapai, you know, would do some things athletically that just he'd never seen before from any of his players. And he'd been coaching, you know, high school football for 25, 30 years. So, um, I think he has a ceiling that is way, way up there. Brunt, any additional thoughts? No, I mean, you, you kind of hit on tight ends. I mean, that, aside from Fedoni, I mean, I, I, 
we like James Carney. I mean, we, we got to see him a lot this year and kind of how he progressed as a, a tight end. He's going to need time to add weight. Um, but I, I think the, the receiver skills are there. I mean, I, I think that's one of the benefits of, um, you know, going from wide receiver to tight end as you continue to add weight is, you know, the, the skills, the skills are there. I mean, you can add the blocking and, and that kind of stuff as you, you put on more weight. So I think he's got a really high ceiling. And then, you know, we don't really talk much about AJ Rollins. Um, you know, I, I think he's a lot better long-term than, than probably what he gets credit for. I think at times prep probably didn't use him um, to his full ability and, and kind of what he could bring to that position. I was a little surprised by that in the times that I saw Creighton prep play this year. I, I think they've got three guys that, you know, are, are, are really good developmental pieces. Um, you, you know, you're going to have to certainly turn over that room uh, in the next year or so um, with, with, you know, the, just how top heavy that group is. But I think you've got three guys that have really good frames that, you know, fit a little bit more of, of what Nebraska wants offensively and, and pass catchers at that position. So, um, you know, that, that was one of the groups that we've highlighted for, uh, you know, going back to the probably this time last year that Nebraska was going to need to address. And I think they did a nice job of, you know, not only, you know, locking up guys locally, but, you know, they, they had to beat out Iowa for, um, uh, for Carney. And, and, you know, obviously the, they beat out everybody for Fedoni, which is a big win. And they, they offered a Rollins really early, which I think was smart. So I, I think that's going to be, you know, a, a group that's going to be, you know, part of what Nebraska's offense can be sooner than, sooner than later uh, compared to a lot of guys in this class. All right. Well, uh, I think that kind of covers it. And of course, we're going to have more coverage on the website for signing day, which of course is on Wednesday. And we will have probably another podcast tomorrow after we hear from Scott Frost when the class signs. And we will see if there is any extra drama or anything else that happens as it relates to Nebraska's 2021 class. And so we'll have all of that more. And then, of course, we're going to have a hype cast on Thursday and our normal wrap up podcast Friday after the game. So it's going to be a busy week for us. You might get tired of hearing from us, but we doubt it because we're so lovable and we appreciate you listening. Be sure, as I said, check out the website today, tomorrow, beyond the future. We'll be around. We got stuff for you. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount+. Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount+, Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.